listening to New Life the Fort, where the person of Jesus Christ and His love for you are shared. Today, I want to share something with you about putting Jesus first, about an area of our life where Jesus is to be first place in our life, where we acknowledge and accept and declare Jesus as first. This is not a favorite message of mine, but it is something that God spoke to me last month when I was on holiday, vacation, on a beach in Vietnam, when I was not thinking about church. I was just thinking about a massage and the sun, and the sun, and, uh, and God spoke to me and put this message on my heart. When I was come to New Life the Fort, I was to speak a message about Jesus first. And so I've come to share something with you this morning. So are you ready? Are you ready? Why don't you put your hand on your heart, wherever you think that is, down here, up here. It's, it's okay if you think it's there, that's fine. I, I think that's my spirit there. Anyway. Father, I thank you for the soil of our hearts this morning. I thank you and I declare over my heart that I have a heart that is ready to receive what it is you are wanting to say. You are our Lord, you are our Master, and you are a kind and loving God. And so would your words come with tenderness this morning, but would they also come with strength and courage and boldness? And would you create a faith within us to say yes to everything that you declare and decree to us? This morning we say yes, and this morning we say amen to all the promises of God. Amen. Everyone say, come on, amen. Awesome. All right, if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to the book of Luke? And um, we're going to read a parable of Jesus in Luke 16. Now, many of you, as you find Luke and you find Luke 16, you'll notice that chapter 16 is just after chapter 15. It's amazing, isn't it? God is so clever. And uh, chapter 15 is full of parables that many Christians know. How many of you have heard of a parable of the lost sheep? Do you know that one? Okay. And where a farmer went to look for his one sheep out of a hundred that was lost. In Australia, we live on a farm and we are surrounded by sheep in our house. And on our farm, I own 20 chickens. They're my girls. I miss my girls on this trip. But the parable of the lost sheep. The next one is the parable of the lost sheep coin. How many of you know that parable? How many of you know the parable of the prodigal son, the son that came home? These are very famous and well-known parables. And if you've been following Jesus for more than a year, I can pretty well guarantee you've heard a message on one of those parables. Jesus, God, our father rejoices when lost things are found. And the point of those parables, whether it's one in a hundred, one percent, one in ten, 10%, 10%, or one in two sons, 50%. The point is all heaven rejoices when even one person comes and is reconciled to God. People are the most important thing to God. People are the great treasure of heaven. Amen. People are what matter. Jesus gave his life for people. That is what you are worth. Come on. If I'm going to walk around with a price tag on me, how much is Chad worth? Chad is worth the very life and death of Jesus. 
Because God the Father looked at me and said, this is how much I love him. I am willing to pay the blood of my son that I can buy him and have him as my own. That is how valuable you are. You are precious in the eyes of God. You are sacred in the eyes of God. He loves you and he values you. And when you came to Jesus, all of heaven rejoiced because a son had come home. A coin was found. A sheep had returned. Come on. But today I'm not going to look at those parables. I'm looking at the next parable, chapter 16, and one that is probably not as popular. Maybe this parable is not as well known. Maybe this parable is not preached as much. But today I'm hoping to bring some revelation from this parable for you. Okay? Are you ready? Luke 16. He also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Some of you who have a New King James Bible or other translations, the word manager is the word steward. Steward. Verse 3. And the manager or the steward said to himself, What am I going to do? My master is taking the stewardship away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from stewardship, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And the steward said to him, great, take your bill, sit down quickly and change it to 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And that man said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, great, take your bill and change it and write 80. The master heard about this. And what did he do? He commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. There's another word. Some translations don't use the word shrewdness. They use the word prudent. He commended him for being prudent. For the sons of this world, says Jesus, are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than are the sons of light. Verse 9, Jesus speaking. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth or by means of money. The NIV says, use money, use it, use money to make friends for yourself so that... When it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, in money, who will entrust to you the true riches? What are the true riches, church? The things that last forever. People. The glory realm of God, signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of manifestations, the power and presence of God. This is what really matters. And Jesus said, if you're not, how will you be entrusted with those true riches if you've not been faithful in handling worldly wealth? And if you've not been faithful in handling that which belongs to another, then who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. No, 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 no. You cannot serve both God and money. And the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. But Jesus said to them, 
You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. Isn't that a peculiar parable? How many of you, if I asked, would say, that's my favorite of all the parables? <laughs> it's a little difficult one. I'm hoping this morning we can bring, shed some light on it. This essentially is a parable teaching us about money. It teaches us three things. This is where I'm going this morning. Number one, money is a trust. Money is a trust. Number two, money is a tool. A tool. Number three, money is a trust. Money is a tool. And money is a test. I want to share that with you this morning. And then we're done. Are you ready? First thing, money is a trust. This parable begins and ends with the concept of stewardship. This man was a manager. He was a steward of somebody else's property. And the parable ends with Jesus saying, you need to be faithful with somebody else's property, with stewarding somebody else's property. Many of Jesus' parables were about stewardship. And Paul the Apostle in his epistles, calls himself a steward. In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1, he says, This is how men ought to regard us. You should regard us as servants of Christ and as stewards of God's mysteries. And it is required that those who have been given a stewardship must be faithful with that stewardship. When we come to Christ, a significant identity change takes place. Amen. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The caterpillar has become a butterfly. Okay? You're not a caterpillar that's been dressed up with wings, trying to fool God that you're still a caterpillar. No, no, no. The caterpillar becomes a whole new creature. Come on, we are not just sinners who've been saved. We, are, we were sinners, we were saved, and now we're saints. We're given a whole new identity. We're not just a caterpillar dressing up like a butterfly, pretending, hoping to fool God that we're something we're not. No, we literally become a new person. We become a new creation. We get a new identity. One of those identities is that we are saints. We are God's holy people. Another identity is that we are sons. How many of you here this morning are sons of God, daughters of the Most High God? God loves you. He's your dad. And you have the authority to steward his property, to manage the father's business. You are a saint. You are a son. And yet the scriptures also describe us as servants and stewards. It is part of our identity. I have many identities. I don't have mixed personality. I can be moody sometimes. If I, if I don't have coffee in the morning, I have a different personality. I ate durian in uh, Davao and I had a whole new personality when I faced durian. I don't have a mixed personality, but I do have different identities. I am a son. I am a father. I am a cousin. I am a worker. I'm an employer. I'm an employee. Yeah? I'm a nephew. I'm a grandson. I have all these different uh, uh, identities attached to me and the same is true for the Christian and one of our identities is that we are a steward Paul says we are stewards of the things of God money is a trust and we are called to steward money well that is one of the points of this 
parable. Let me describe stewardship to you or illustrate what stewardship is. I need, uh, I think I'll use Gabe as a volunteer. Why don't you put your hands together for Gabe? G'day, mate. Say, g'day, g'day, Gabe. G'day, Gabe. Here you go. Yeah, I'm late. All right, here you go. That's how Australians really talk. I'm trying to be clear when I speak today. But really, we talk like this and no one can understand what we're saying. That's how we normally speak. Now, Gabe, as you uh, look on this, around this church today, is there anybody here that you owe money to? No, no, Pastor. Definitely not. You're not in debt to anyone. No. How about Pastor Alvin here in green pants? <laughs> Do you owe him any money? Definitely not. Okay. Gabe is debt-free. He does not owe anyone in here money. He does not owe Pastor Alvin money. Okay. Very good. Are you willing to do a favor for me before you sit down? Okay. It was Pastor Alvin's birthday yesterday. Yeah. And I just wanted to give him a thousand pesos as a gift just to get something. I think he should buy something for his wife, but it would... (laughs) She's, she's not here, so he can buy something. Do you mind just giving him that for me? Sure, no problem. Come, thank you. Very good. Hands together for Gabe. Oh, stop, 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 stop. Oh, come back. I forgot something. I forgot. Um, Gabe, let me ask you a question. Looking around this church today, is there anybody here that you owe money to? Uh, one. You owe money to someone here? Yes. But two minutes ago, you said you didn't owe anyone money. Do you owe Pastor Alvin money? Uh, Yes. So Gabe is now in debt to Pastor Alvin. Do you see that? Now, does he owe Pastor Alvin his money? He owes him my money. In the letter to the Romans, Paul talks about himself. And he says this in verse 14. He says, I am debtor. This is the letter of freedom, of liberty, of forgiveness of sins. The book of Romans is all about grace and the gospel. You can't buy a book about grace without Romans being quoted again and again and again. It is all about the unconditional love of God and the forgiveness of sins, where all our debts are cancelled. And yet Paul opens that letter by saying, I'm a debtor. Now, he doesn't say, I'm in debt to God. He says, I am in debt to Jews and Greeks. He says, I have something that I owe them. And he says this, I'm in debt to them. I owe them the gospel. He says, that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you. Because I've got something in my hand that doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. Gabe is now in debt to Alvin. But it's not a condemning thing. It's not judgmental. It's not he doesn't owe anything of his. He owes something of mine. Gabe has something in his possession that is not his possession. And if he were to sit down on his seat and put that money in his pocket and go out and buy ice cream with it later, he would be an unfaithful steward because he would be mishandling something that belongs to me. Or mishandling something that belongs to Pastor Alvin. But how many of you believe Gabe would be a faithful steward today? Thank you very much. Why don't you give him a hand? Steward that well. Listen, God has put things in your hand that don't belong to you. 
the steward in this uh, story of Jesus, his job was to handle the money of the master. It was not his money. And the accusation that the master had was not, you're stealing my money. He just said, you're wasting it. You're not doing what I told you to do with it. It's not your money. It's not your money, steward. Your job is to put it where I asked you to put it because it's actually mine. God has put certain things in your possession that are not your possession. One of those things are your talents, your abilities, your skills. First Peter chapter 4 says God has given all of us different talents and we are to use them to steward God's grace in its various forms. If you're good at media, if you're good at uh, audio, if you're good at uh, things on the internet and cameras, that gift is not just for you to go and make money for yourself. That gift is there to serve other people. You should be volunteering that gift because that is a talent God has given you to steward God's grace. God has given you talents. He's given you a temple, a body. Some very, very good looking bodies here. I think Pastor Josel is one of the most handsome pastors I know. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. I mentioned that before. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Well, hang on. It's not my body. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I honor God with his body. This is his. That's why it's so important to give ourselves to things like exercise, eating well. We look after our temple. This is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God has given this temple a tongue and our job is to steward our tongue well. Make sure we are speaking words of blessing and not words of curse. God has given us sexuality. God has given us sex as a gift. It is a good thing. It is a beautiful thing. But it is not ours to do with what we want. We need to steward our sexuality well and steward our sexuality wisely. Come on. Sex is a very good thing, but it's also a powerful thing. Like fire. How many of you know fire is a good thing? We cook with it. We st well, in Australia, when it's winter, we use it to stay warm. I don't think you need to do that in the Philippines. It's always warm. But fire is a good thing. But if you mishandle fire, if you do not steward it well, the very thing that is meant to help you can actually harm you. Because fire is not only good, it's also powerful. And God designed it to be powerful. So that we could drive locomotives and machinery and we could use the power of fire to our advantage. And yet if we mishandle fire, the very power that is designed to help us can hurt us and harm us for life. In Australia, during summer, when it's very dry and very hot, we, every year we have bushfires. And houses are destroyed and, and forests are destroyed. And sometimes people lose their lives, burned to death in cars and in their homes. It's terrible. It happens almost every year. Because fire is good, but it's also powerful. And if we don't steward it well, it can hurt you. The same is true with sexuality. Sexuality is a gift from God. Your temple, this temple, is a, is a gift. And our job is to steward it well. Because if we don't steward our sexuality well, the very thing that's meant to help us can really cause damage. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Sex is a good thing, but it's also a powerful thing. So we need to steward it well. This is the point. God has put certain things in your possession that are not yours. 
They are for the benefit of other people. And one of those things is your talents, your temple, and your treasure. God has given you treasure. He's put money into your hand. And some of that money is not yours. So when God speaks to the Israelites and He institutes the regular uh, giving of tithing, where people would take a tithe, 10% of their crops and their produce and their income, God doesn't say, listen, I want you to give 10% of your income. No, no, no. He says 10% of the income that comes to you is actually mine. It never belongs to you in the first place. It belongs to me. And your job is not to give it. Your job is to steward it, to bring that which belongs to God and put it where he tells you to. He puts money into your hand. And, and he says, give it to Pastor Alvin. Then you give it to Pastor Alvin like Gabe just did. We steward that which belongs to him. See, some people have a problem with tithing because they see it as a harsh law. No, it's stewardship. It's having something in your possession that's not your possession. And the scripture says, those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. My friends, point number one, money is a trust and God has entrusted you with treasure and your task is to be faithful with it number two money is a tool money is a trust money is a tool t-o-o-l a tool money has a purpose let me say it again this steward was not accused of stealing money no 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 he was accused of wasting it he was not using that money in accordance with his master's wishes. He was not using money for the purpose for which money was created. You see, money has a purpose. It is a tool. In Australia, we have many men who in their garden have a shed. You know what a shed is? And their shed is full of tools, saws and hammers and nails. And some of those men don't ever use them. They just sit there and rust. Understand what I'm saying? They do not use those tools. And that's what this steward was doing. He was not using the tools. Now, what was that money for? What was his position to do? This man was employed to use his master's money to make his master look good, to extend his master's business, to propel his master's business forward and advance the business of his master. But he did not do that. He wasted it. So Jesus brings application here money is a tool and he says listen i want you to use worldly wealth to influence people he says use worldly wealth use it it's a tool in your hand use it to influence people so that one day when this planet is finished those people will welcome you into eternal dwellings this is amazing your money on this planet, if you use it well, can actually help in people's eternal destiny being secured. We know that nobody gets to heaven except by Jesus' blood and the gospel. Okay, I'm not adding anything to that. But how do people hear the gospel? How will people hear unless someone is sent to them? We need preachers. We need people to proclaim the gospel. We need communities local living churches where the gospel is proclaimed so people can hear that which is theirs. And that takes money to do that. 
So Jesus is saying, use worldly wealth on this planet to influence people. So one day when you die, you'll get to heaven and they'll stand out front of their mansion and they'll say, hey, you gave offerings. You used your money to influence me to Jesus. Come into my home. Come on, see what Jesus has given me. I'm here, yes, because of the blood of Christ. But I heard about that because you use your money as a tool in your hand to effect eternity. My friends, when you give offerings to Jesus Festival, when you give offerings to the Joshua Project, when you give offerings to New Life the Fort, when you bring your money here, you don't just put it as something we do every Sunday. No, this is a tool in our hand to advance the kingdom and change eternity. Come on. This steward, it seems like he's doing a bad thing, but the master commended him. Because not only did he win friends for himself, but he also made his master look good. You imagine if Pastor Joselle and Eileen have a mortgage, a loan for their house. Uh, just for illustration, let's say the Bank of the Philippines, is they get their loan and they owe 10 million peso on their house. And one day they get a knock on the door and it's a man from the bank. He's got a badge on and he says, are you Josella Marlene Evangelist? They say, yes, we are. He says, do you have a loan with our bank? They say, yes, we do. Is it 10 million pesos? Yes, it's 10 million pesos. And that bank manager says, I've got good news for you. Take your debt, sit down and halve it. 10 million, make it 5 million. Whoa. How many of you know they are going to hug and kiss and, and high-five that man? They're going to love that man. They're going to suddenly be best friends. Okay, that bank manager has won their friendship. But more than that, as soon as he leaves the house, Mylene's going to get onto Facebook. We know she's going to do that, don't we? And for that day, she'll probably post 20 things about how amazing the Bank of the Philippines is. See, in her mind, she's not going to praise the bank manager. When he leaves, she'll forget his name. But as far as she's concerned, the bank manager represents the bank. And so she will tell everyone she knows about how wonderful that bank is, how generous that bank is. When other friends want to know which bank should I go to, she'll say, you've got to go to the Bank of the Philippines. They cancelled our debt. Listen, when this steward went around cancelling debts, what did they do? Those people thought, that's the master doing that. He is amazing. He's generous. He used that money to make the master look good. And so when the master heard about it, he didn't say, you've robbed from me. He said, well done. You've used money to influence people to see that I am a debt canceller. That's who I am. That's my heart. You've represented me well with your money. You see, before that, he did not see money as a tool. He was wasting it. But now he realized, no, 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 money is a tool. Money has a purpose. I can do something with this. I want to encourage you today. Understand money is a trust. You've been given a stewardship to handle wealth. And some of it does not belong to you. It is meant to be in Go through your hands to another place. Secondly, I want you to see that money is a tool and that you can use it to advance the kingdom. Come on. Amen. That's why Jesus said, listen, don't have money as a master. Don't see money as a person. 
Jesus very clearly does not want you to love God and hate money. See, some people are saying, well, that, that, that sounds logical. That sounds like a good thing for a Christian to do, to love God and hate money. Oh, Chad, I hate money. We love God so much, we hate money, we hate money, we hate money. No, Jesus does not want that. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want you. He says in that parable, I don't want you to love God and hate money. This is what I believe. Jesus wants you to have no emotional attachment to money at all. Don't love God and hate money. Just love God and see that money is a tool in your hand. No emotional connection to it. It's just a tool that gets a job done. Come on. Money is a trust. Money is a tool. And lastly, money is a test. One of the main ways to test the hearts of people is by using money. And time and time again through the scripture, God uses property. God uses valuables. God uses treasures to test the hearts of people. We want to be a church that has Jesus first. And Jesus first in our finances comes because Jesus is first in our hearts. Come on. It's no point singing Jesus is first, but then living a life where Jesus is not first. Okay, we live a life, our whole life, where Jesus is first of our hearts. First Peter 3 says, In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. In my heart, my full devotion is with Him. Amen. And so all through Scripture, we see God using money as a test for people. Money is a trust. Money is a tool. But money is also a test. In Genesis 4, Abram, no, Abel and Cain. Abel brought an offering to God, and he brought the firstborn of his flock. You remember that? Firstborn. When his uh, animal had a baby, he brought that first baby and offered that to God. The first thing he did was honor God first. Cain, on the other hand, brought an offering, but he did not bring the first fruits. He just brought, it says there in Genesis, some of the fruit. Just some of the fruit. And the Bible says God looked upon Abel's with favor. Why? Because he gave to God first. God first in finance. In the book of Exodus, God instructs his people like this. He says, listen, for both animals and fruit, I want you to bring your first. If you farm animals, the firstborn that is born, give to me. Well, hang on, God. What, what if this mum... This mama lamb, this mama sheep, what if this is the only baby she ever has? God doesn't say, wait till she has a hundred babies and then give one to me. No, no, no. As soon as she gives birth to the first, offer that one to me and watch my hand of blessing on her for the rest. Put God first in finance. In, later on in Exodus, I think it's chapter 23, he says, bring the first fruits of your crops, both the picture of Abel and the picture of Cain now are both first, first fruits of the crops. Before there's any guarantee, any more fruit will come. Bring the, the first produce and honor me first. God first in our finances. Later on, hundreds of years later, the people go to Egypt. They're enslaved. They get rescued. Moses rescues them. They go to the desert. They wander for 40 years. And at the end of that 40 years, Joshua is in charge. 
And God says, over the river Jordan, there are cities that I want to give to you. And those cities have fields that you haven't planted and they're for you. Those cities have houses that you've not built and they're for you. Those cities have animals that you've not farmed and they're for you. Those cities have gold and silver that I'm waiting for you. I'm storing up the wealth of the unrighteous for my people to take. Whoa, that sounds wonderful. And then they come to the first city, which is the city of Jericho. Remember they had their trumpets, marched around, the walls come down, and God said, now listen, this is the first city. And in this city, I don't want you to take any of the gold and silver. I don't want you to take any animals or any produce or any houses. In fact, I want you to commit them to me. The way they did that back in those days was to burn it all. Okay, but the point was they offered it to God. Now, you can imagine the temptation of those people coming to a city and seeing a nice big ox or sheep and thinking, that's a good sheep. I could feed my family on that for two weeks. But no, God said we put him first and then we watch all the other cities open up for us. This gold and silver in this first city is not ours because this is a sign, a test of our hearts to say, God, we trust you. We trust you first in our finances and we believe that you will provide for us for all those other cities. In the book of Kings, we see the similar story, a widow in Zarephath, and she's very poor. She only has one cup of oil and a little bit of flour. And she goes to the well and she buys some sticks and she meets a prophet there called Elijah. And Elijah says, hey, can I come over to your house for dinner? And she says, no, I've got nothing. All I've got is one cup. One cup of oil, one cup of flour, and, and me and my son, we're just going to cook that tonight for us, and then we're going to die, because that's all we've got. And Elijah, under the power of the Holy Spirit, says, let's go to your house, cook what you have left, make a cake, and give it to me. Give it to me first. Feed me first. Isn't that an amazing test? What a test. And that woman believes that is the word of the Lord to put God first in her finances. She makes that cake. She gives it to Elijah. And then what's left over, she eats, she eats, she eats. And that flour and that oil just kept on providing and kept on providing and kept on providing. What an amazing miracle. She passed the test of putting God First in finances. How many of you believe God is worthy of our trust? We can trust Him. Whether you are in a city where there's much gold or whether you're a poor widow with only a little, He is worthy of being trusted and we can put Him first in our finances. Personally, for me, I've seen this blessing in my life for many years. All my adult life, I have tithed our income. And there's been times where we have not had much money. There were times when we planted our church. We started a church with about 10 people. And we had no income. And we were struggling financially. There were times where my wife would call me from the supermarket because she bought all these groceries and our credit card was full. And she had no money. Two or three times this happened. So embarrassing. 
that she's standing there at the checkout with all the produce and we have no money. We've experienced that. We know what it's like to go on a trip, to be uh, in church life. There was times where our church could not pay us and we just had to say, look, the rent needs to be paid, not us. Uh, one day we went on holidays. We went, to, had, uh, went away on holidays and we had no money. I think we had $100 for a holiday, which for Australia is not very much, not very much money. And we trusted God and we prayed. And two days later, miraculously, out of nowhere, totally surprised, we had like $2,000 put into our bank account. And we had a great holiday with that. We would know what it's like to be the family who at Christmas time, there was times when my wife was in tears because we just didn't have money to buy our children gifts. Some of you, we know what that's like. And 10 minutes later, as she's wiping the tears from her eyes, we get a knock on the door and there's someone there to say, with $200 to say, I feel like God wants to bless you with this for Christmas. I know what it's like. We understand what it's like to go through those times and yet all of those times, whether in plenty or in want, I've learned the secret of being content and whether in plenty or in want, I know that God is faithful and trustworthy to put Him first. Whether I earn lots of money or whether I earn little money, I can always have something to say, Jesus, I'm putting you first. First in finances because money is a trust. Money is a tool, but money is also a test. Over recent years, when I was here last year, I preached out of my book, He Qualifies You. It's, uh, I published, I think, two or 3,000 copies the first time. And as, I cop as we, we received those and we started to sell them, I felt God say, I want you to take all the profit from this first edition and sow that into your church, sow that into the kingdom. You don't benefit from that. That was a first fruits offering. Since then, the book has been printed again and again and again. We have sold literally thousands of copies all over the Philippines. This book is making an influence. I was just shown last month a big, big uh, leaders, pastors conference in America. And uh, Creflo Dollar was one of the speakers there. And the man who was hosting the conference did a session, a night session, a very famous American preacher. And all through his sermon, he quoted out of my book, just quoted again and again. That little book is making influence all around the world. And I believe in part it's because I said, Jesus, I put you first. The first time I went to New Zealand three years ago, I was invited to be the keynote speaker of a conference for the very first time. At the end of that conference, the, the, the people gave me a financial gift, which is very generous. There was 100, 200 people there. And I took that gift and I preached in another church that Sunday morning. And during the worship time, I felt God say, that money in your pocket is not yours it is a give it as a first fruits offering to invest into New Zealand as a sign of saying this is the first of your international ministry and particularly in your ministry in New Zealand. And so I took that gift, which was mine. It was given to me. God said, first fruits, offer it to me. And I just took that money and I was looking for a bucket. <laughs> Where do I give this? I gave that gift and we've been invited back to New Zealand again and again. This last conference, the gift they gave us was three times what that first time was. And I don't do it for that reason, but I do it to honor Jesus first. He is so trustworthy. Okay, I need to tell a funny story. Something a bit funny now, okay? Something else I have in common with Pastor Mylene and Giselle is I also, before I was a pastor, I did... Uh, acting work in theater and television. That's why I can speak so clearly. Not like an Australian. I speak clearly. 
And, um, and I gave that up for 10 years when we planted our church because I needed to be focused just on church for a while. And then two years ago, I had a dream that I went back in my dream. I went back to my agent, my acting agent, and I said, I want to act again. I want to do work again. And in the dream, she says, great, I've been looking for you. I've got all this acting work lined up for you. Where have you been? And a month later, I went to her. I said, well, maybe that's God telling me to go back to acting after 10 years of not doing it. And so I went to her and I knocked on her door and I said, remember me? 10 years ago, I gave up acting. And she says, are you still a priest? I said, yes, I'm still a priest. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, look, I had a dream that I came back to acting. And she said, well, it's about time. And within two, two weeks later, I went out for an audition for a television commercial. And for the first time in 10 years, my first audition back, I got that job on a TV commercial that was shown all around Australia. And I, when I received the money from that commercial, which was worth about two to three weeks wages or salary, it was one night's work, one night's work, but it was worth two or three weeks salary. That's good money, isn't it? How many of you would like to work one night and get three weeks worth of finance? Whoa, that's awesome. So I got that and I thought, this is my first fruits. There was a lot I could do with that money, but it was my first acting job in 10 years. I said, God, I'm going to give this money to you. I sowed it into ministry. Within a few months' time, I was the busiest actor for voice work, radio and TV commercials, doing voiceover work with my agent in the whole of our city, earning job after job after job and bringing in more money. In, in certain periods, we went, we went on great holidays. I paid for a whole third publication of my book just with acting money. We had, we had a bumper crop that year. And I believe it's part of that was because we said we passed the test of putting Jesus first. My friends, the question for you today is can you trust Jesus to put him first in your finances? You can trust him with your eternal salvation. You can trust him with your financial life. And I believe as a church, New Life the Fort, we can have a culture in this church that puts Jesus first in every area. And that includes our finances. And one of the reasons I can encourage you to do that is because God practices what he preaches. God gave his firstborn in the hope that a big harvest would come after him. Let's read Romans, 20, uh, Romans 8, 28. We'll finish with this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. You remember how the people in the Old Testament gave their firstborn in the hope that that lamb, that sheep, would have many, many other babies before any others were born. You know, Abraham, when God said to Abraham, I want you to give your son, your only son. He did not tell Abraham to offer his son after he'd had a hundred. Abraham could have said, oh God, you've promised me many children, but this is my only son. This is my first. I don't have any more. Why don't you wait until I've got 20 children and then I'll give you one of them? Why don't you wait until I've got 70 grandchildren and then I'll give you one, God? No, when he only had one son. God said, you trust me with that one son because I've promised you that there will come many after him. 
God did that with us. Before there was any guarantee in the natural that anyone would follow Jesus, before there was any guarantee that anyone would believe in the new covenant, God gave His only Son first in the hope that by offering His first Son, many, 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 many more sons would come. God practices what He preaches. God gave His first. God gave His best. And we are all the beneficiaries of that today. Amen. Verse 32. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? How many of you today can say, I trust Jesus with my finances, with my body, with my family, with my education, with my future, with my employment. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. And today we say, Jesus first. Jesus first. Come on, say Jesus first. Why don't you just, just on your own, just, just pray, just do some private dealings with God. In the Bible says, in your heart, set apart Christ first. Set apart Christ as Lord. Just between you and Him, I pray, Holy Spirit, You'd come. You would deal gently and kindly and lovingly with Your people. I pray You would speak to Your people, even on the fourth level. Speak to Your people about where Jesus is first in my life. There's areas of your life that you may not completely trust Him in. This morning, deal with that. Say, Lord, I trust You. I trust you. Trust you. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus for eternal life, if you've never trusted Jesus for your eternal destiny, you know, one day it is destined, the Bible says, for man, for us to live and to die and then to face the God of holiness. And on that day, we will be called to give an account. And you can trust in yourself and your own goodness, but I tell you, it won't get you anywhere because your own holiness will never measure up to the holiness of heaven. Or you can choose to trust in Jesus that He is perfectly holy on your behalf. You can trust Jesus for your eternal life and know that He will spare you from the judgment of God because on the cross He took away all of our sin and was given in our place. If you've never trusted Jesus, not with your finances today, right now, but with your eternal destiny, this morning you say, I want to trust Him with my eternal life. We're going to pray for you this morning. In fact, I'd like you just to put up your hand. Even if you're in the overflow room, say, I want to trust Jesus today for eternal life and acknowledge Him. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to trust Jesus for eternal life. And my internal destiny. Today, I feel the moving of the Holy Spirit calling me to entrust myself to Him. We're going to pray for you just now. Those people who lifted their hands and wanted to receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, amen, this is your day. And I believe God is here and He wants to come into your life and change your life, amen. So can I have everyone just close their eyes for a minute? Bow down your heads. Those people who raised their hands to receive the Lord, can you pray this prayer with me? Pray this from your heart. And I believe as you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, 
you are going to be saved today. Amen? So let us pray. Also, congregation, why not just agree together as we pray along with this prayer, as we usher our brothers and sisters into this new relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus, your firstborn, the best for me. Today, I recognize how much you love me. And today, I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord, my Savior, today and forever. I receive your love. I receive the forgiveness of all of my sins. Today, I am saved. Today, I am whole. And today, I know I am secure in you. Thank you that I can call you Father. Thank you for all that you've done and everything that you're going to do in me and through me. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at newlifethefort.com.